Hello and welcome back to our study of the Dhammapada. Today we go on to verse number 46, which reads, Penupamang kayami mang viditva, marichidamang abhisambudano, chetvana marasa papupakani, adasanang machurajasa gache which means having viditva having known this body kayamimang having known this body penupamang by the simile of or as similar to a bubble smarichidamang uh, abhisambudano you who see who penetrate or who who come to know perfectly or penetrate into the, the higher knowledge awaken let's say awaken to the higher knowledge of the body being of a nature of in in nature like a mirage abhisambuddhano you who awaken uh, who have become awakened to the knowledge that the body is like a mirage Chitvana marasa papupakani Cut, having cut the flowers or the flower-tipped sensual pleasures of Mara Adasanang machurajasagati Go to where the king of death cannot see you So this is an exhortation to someone who has seen the body as being like a bubble and real, come to realize its nature of being like a mirage. Uh, the instruction is having cut through the flowers of Mara. Let's put it there, the, those things which are tipped with flowers or look like flowers are, are enticing like flowers. Go to where the king of death or Mara cannot see you. So go to Nibbana. So this is another short story. There's not much of a story to it, but it's uh, instructive and it's an example of uh, how meditation, realizations in meditation can occur. The story goes that there was a monk who um, became desirous of, of practicing meditation and so he went to the Buddha and got a meditation subject and went off into the forest and practiced ardently. But no matter how much he practiced, he, wasn't, he felt like he wasn't getting, getting anywhere. He didn't realize, he didn't get any higher realizations or wasn't able to penetrate to the truth. So after some time, he got kind of frustrated and decided that he would head back to have the Buddha clarify the Kamatana, clarify the, the meditation for him, to give him a better explanation or to help him uh, see where he was stuck. Now, but on on his way, on the way back, on the road, he off in the distance he saw a mirage because in the heat it was the summer months, and uh, off in the distance he saw something shimmering that looked like like there was maybe a city there or, or it doesn't say what, but some kind of mirage he saw that looked like this or looked like that, and as he got closer he realized it dis it it, it disappeared. 
and because he was he had just come out of meditation because he was so focused on the the the, the contemplation of the body and and maybe he was contemplating on the loathsomeness of the body or something uh, that that he immediately picked up this this idea and, and realized that the the body is just like this mirage that really is all it is this this um, body which we take to be solid and we take to be ours and an entity and something that we carry with us wherever we go uh, is actually just a mirage. It actually, it's something that arises and ceases and it's of the same nature as a mirage. Um, it, when, when you have experiences like seeing and hearing and so on, you see it uh, as, or you, you identify it as being an entity when in fact it is just experiences. And so he thought about this, and, and it really kind of hit him, and gave him some um, some insight, or some some. It helped him to let go, and it brought him deeper in his meditation, or more um, intent on his meditation. And so he kept walking, and as he was walking, uh, suddenly a storm cloud came up, and it started raining heavily. So he went quickly under a tree, and as he was sitting under this tree. He's meditating on the body and meditating on this idea of uh, arising or of the body being like a mirage and watching the experiences arise and cease and parts of the body arise and cease. He he had his eyes open. He was looking out and he saw the the rain falling on the ground and he saw it splashing and hitting the ground and and hitting the puddles and making like a bubble and. Uh, you know, arising and ceasing, arising and ceasing, going, going, and he thought to himself, "Well, the body is just like this. This being, this atabava, this uh, this being is just like a bubble, or just like a series of bubbles. It arises for a brief moment and then disappears. It comes into being, only to vanish. It's not permanent. And so again, he had this deep sort of, um, not not exactly a realization, but this." Um, awakening of some sort to the truth of, of, of these things and realizing that this was actually what he was faced with. The body and the, the, this being of his wasn't the solid thing entity that he thought it was. And the story goes that the Buddha realized this and uh, taught him this verse, somehow projected himself from a distance to this monk and uh, spoke a verse to him or somehow connected telepath telepathically or whatever. The point is, there was this teaching. Then the Buddha gave, the, the Buddha said, that's correct. And he said, now go the next step and uh, cut off your attachment to the body and so on, attachment to sensuality, and go beyond death. Go to where death cannot, the king of death cannot find you. And he spoke this verse. So here's one that you don't have to stretch or twist to see how it fits with our meditation, but uh, it, it's maybe a good good chance, a good opportunity to uh, help to explain or to explain the nature of Buddhist meditation and, and our goals and our aims and, and where we should be heading and why it's important to see these things. So the, 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 the realizations that this monk had are not really uh, vipassana insight, because they're still dealing with concepts or comparisons. But they're the kind of concepts that um, lead one to cultivate or to develop 
this kind of sense of urgency and desire for, for, for a greater and more intense practice, when one realizes these things, um, they can be a, a real cause for insight because, or a, a stimulate, stimulant for, stimulus for the arising of insight because of uh, how they direct the mind. Um, the, the first st stage in meditation is to see what really exists or to begin to understand what we're dealing with, what, what um, things make up uh, ultimate reality. So as long as we take the body as an entity and, and we take the mind as an entity, we're not able to, to, these are not things that you're able to change, not things you're able to, um, to, to understand. You know, it, it's, uh, it, it blocks any further kind of understanding because the body is, well, it's just the body, you know, and the mind is just the mind. Anger is just anger, greed is just greed, attachment is just attachment. Without really understanding the, the, the process of what's occurring when, when we say body, when we say mind. So, well, th th this is often the case with meditators that they'll go off into the forest or go to a meditation center and feel frustrated that they're not getting anywhere. They're just seeing, you know, everything is changing and they're seeing uh, it's unsatisfying and they're seeing that they can't control it and they feel like something's wrong with their meditation because they're not really able to... Um, or they're, they're not able to control the experience, they're not able to control their mind, um, and they're not experiencing anything super mundane. They feel like everything is mundane, boring, unattractive, un, uh, and so on. When actually this is what we're, we're aiming for. So these kind of realizations that this monk had when he was on the road kind of uh, adjusted his understanding of what he was looking at. You know, he'd been he'd been spending all this time. Only someone who had been spending all this time looking at ultimate reality would have these kind of observations. Of course, a person who sees a mirage doesn't normally think right away, "Wow, the body is just like that mirage." But he had he had really uh, he had missed this about his practice that really this is what he was seeing, what he had been seeing all along, because he had been so intent on the body and watched it arising and ceasing, and he didn't realize how important this was. But he would be seeing. Part of the parts of the body disappearing where he would be sitting and suddenly he wasn't sure if his arms were there or his legs were there. Um, he, he would be having, um, you know, seeing the pain arise and cease, seeing the, the feelings arise and cease. If you're watching the stomach, watching the breath, the stomach is arising, arising and falling and the arising or the rising arises and ceases, the falling arises and ceases. And they don't, they don't come from anywhere and they don't go to anywhere. They arise out of nothing and they disappear back into nothing. But of course you wouldn't see this without this kind of uh, instructive realization, which you'd normally get from a teacher who would explain to you, you see this is the, the, the truth. What you're seeing is that everything arises and ceases. And so th this was kind of like a teacher to him, to, to, to remind him that this is the nature of things. And he, he, he saw this mirage, he thought, well, you know, the body was acting in just this way. I would think the stomach was there rising and falling, but then whoop, suddenly it would disappear. You know, there would be no rising, no falling, or I would see it fall apart and disappear. And there would be the, the experience of sitting, and then even that would disappear, or my hands would disappear, or my legs would disappear. 
um, you know, watching the mind, these mind states where you have um, emotions that you think are somehow existing, you know, that somehow are entities that maybe boil up and then go back down or something, but they're always in there. And then you see that actually this isn't the case. You'll, you'll notice them and you'll say to yourself, angry, angry, or frustrated, or bored, or wanting, wanting, or so on. You see, you see it crumble and it disappear. And you realize that this is just like a mirage. So when he saw this mirage, he thought, well, this is exactly how the mind, the body and the mind were acting. And he starts to rethink you know, whether he really did get, maybe he really was getting something out of the meditation. He realized that this is what's actually most important in the meditation, to see these things. Why? We'll get to why that is. But he was seeing that this is the truth. Well, the first most important reason is that he's seeing the truth. But there's ramification, there's, there's benefits to that. But first, the second thing he, he, he thought about the bubble as well, just really more of the same, but it, it comes back to, um, well, first of all, seeing that the body is like a bubble in that it arises and ceases. So this is how this, how this commentary frames this, that he was seeing his, his whole existence. It seems that this is what they're implying, is that he saw this whole, his whole existence like a bubble something that is temporary. And this is one way of understanding impermanence. The most gross way of understanding impermanence is that we're not going to last. It's a very important uh, realization that this body is eventually going to lie on the ground. That tirang watayang kayo, before long this body will will lie flat on the ground like a useless burnt log. And uh, this kind of thing is, is, of course, creates a great sense of urgency, realizing that everything that we're holding on to, we, we have to let go of. All of the things that we like, all of the things that we cling to as special, as, as me, as mine, as our, as me, as mine, as, as uh, ourself, or ours, our possessions, all of these things we have to give up. Even our body won't go with us when we die. But it gets a little bit deeper than that, and actually in terms of meditation he would have been seeing uh, quite a bit deeper than that. So, you know, the next step is seeing that now we're a certain age, and, the, you know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, we, we were a different age. Maybe when we're old we see how we were younger, how we were, when we were younger we see how we were a child, we realize that that's gone. That this is, you know, the impermanence of, it's like a bubble, that, where is that bubble gone? It's disappeared. And you know, eventually, a person is able to see quick, see closer and closer, and, and understand that even yesterday we were a different person. Uh, even a mom, even a moment ago, we were a different person. Our thoughts, our body, and our mind is just like many, many drops of rain, one after another. All of our experiences um, arise and cease in a brief moment. So he realized that this is this is just like experience. There's no underlying soul or self or me or mine. There's only experiences arising and ceasing, like raindrops falling on the ground. And again, this is the sort of thing that would was very much connected to vipassana insight, even though the thought itself isn't the insight. The thought itself comes from the insight. And this is something that helped him to realize, you know, he was actually seeing the truth. And then the Buddha coming in there and reaffirming it for him, helped him to, to propel him on, and he actually became enlightened. After the Buddha gave this verse, he was able to see the truth and became an arahant.
as a result of this. Uh, and, and so this is the, 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 the benefit of seeing the truth. When, once he s saw like this and started to look and started to examine and appreciate and come to accept this truth of life, this is the next part of the verse that the Buddha was exhorting him, saying, now that you see this, look closer until you can be free, until you can cut your craving for these things. Because all of the things that we cling to, this is what the Buddha called the pupakani, the, those things that have flowers at their tip. Um, so the, 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 the translation that they use is flower-tipped arrows, though I'm not sure if that's exactly the, if there's any, any commentary to back that up. But what it means is all of the sensual flowers, you see the flower, you know, this like from Macbeth, the flower, but underneath it there's a snake. Uh, so th this is like the, this is what is meant by these things that are beautiful on the on the on the outside. So you don't see the snake lying under the flowers. Uh, this is Mara's pleasures are all like this. But the the idea of flower-tipped um, arrows means you know there, there's poison underneath, or there's a sharp arrow underneath that when you grab out the flower, you get the blade that's underneath the the the, the arrow point and it poisons you and it kills you or it, it, it leads you to suffering um, because this is how we understand sensual pleasures all of the things that we cling to are are based on you know the idea of concepts you can't cling to something that's arising and ceasing when you look at reality when you look at the reality of our experience there's nothing there that you can cling to if it's a moment of seeing it arises and ceases the 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 ultimate reality of it is um, not only you can't cling to it, but it's not something that anyone would have any reason to cling to. So the ultimate reality doesn't lead us to clinging, but our, mis our, our inability to see the ultimate reality and therefore taking these things as concepts, like the body, this body is me and my hands and my feet and so on, and my face and I'm beautiful or I'm ugly or I'm tall or I'm short. Or all of these things that we, we cling to um, as entities, this is what creates our uh, attachment. That these are the things that we attach to. So once you see reality, you, you have no reason to attach. But, but then there's the, the, the other question as to you know, which is better, right? Well, maybe some people say, okay, that's fine, but are, am I not better off to think, believe in concepts then? You know, if I agree, even if I agree, that they're just conceptual. Why shouldn't I cling to them? And doesn't that lead me to, you know, it leads me to pleasure, to sensual pleasure. What's wrong with sensual pleasure? And this is why the Buddha says, points out that they're flower-tipped, because he said, I know the gratification, the pursuit and the gratification of, of sensual pleasure. There is this gratification. Um, when, when you, when you, when for flowers, for example, they give you pleasure when you see them. This is the gratification. But then there's the danger of sensuality. And the danger of it is that it's not real. It's like a mirage. There's something very, there's a very, very important danger to that. Because there is a reality underneath and this reality is changing. The reason why we fight, the reason why we you know, cheat each other, the reason why we... Um, you know, waste so much of our effort trying to attain 
even the smallest bit of sensual pleasure, uh, it's all because of this attachment. All of, all of the suffering that we have uh, is because we can't get what we want all the time. Because these things, these, the objects of sensual pleasure are not real. The underlying reality is impermanent, unsatisfying, and uncontrollable. So you may be enjoying something wonderful and then someone comes in and ruins it. Maybe breaks wood, you're looking at uh, some flowers, someone comes and cuts them off. You know, when, I say, when you hear this verse, cut the flowers of Mara, you think, cutting flowers? You know, what if I came in and took your flowers and stepped on them and smashed them into a pulp? How would you feel? You'd feel unhappy. And you'd say, you made me unhappy. And i say, no, your attachment to those flowers made you unhappy. I can't make you unhappy. If you weren't attached to those flowers, I would be totally impotent. But you give me power. And we do this. We give people power over us. We give situations power over us. It's an incredible weakness to be addicted, among other things, but it's an incredible weakness in the world to be addicted to sensuality because this is where they get you, they get you right? The, you watch commercials and if, you're, if you are, if, you know, if you watch you like pizza and then there's a pizza commercial, you, they've got you. If you like hamburgers, there's a burger commercial. This is, uh, they've got you. People get us as well. You know, when people know that we want something, they've, they have a, cl a claim over our hearts. They have a claim over our actions. And this is what leads to being manipulated by others. You can't be manipulated if you don't have any wants, if you're not bothered by anything. You can't be manipulated if you if you do away with the, the delusion, if you see things as arising and ceasing, if you look at everything as uh, ultimate reality or experiential reality, it's seeing, it's hearing, it's smelling, it's tasting, it's feeling and thinking, then there is no, uh, it's like neutralizing the poison. Nothing can, these things can't hurt you. You cut off the... Um, you cut off the attachment to sensuality, or you cut off sensual desire at the root. So this is what it means to to um, see things as they are. This is what the the result of the practice is. When you practice, when you see things as they are, you cut off this craving. You do away with this. And it's not as a result you you don't experience sensual pleasure but you don't experience sensual desire. So you may still eat and, and there may be the feelings of, of uh, well, there's at least the physical pleasure. But the mind isn't, doesn't find its pleasure in that, in, in, in that sort of thing. It doesn't rely upon sensual um, mental, mental pleasure or this, this um, joy that comes momentarily from getting what you want. It's all really the same. People will say, well, what about um, relationships? Or many people are, what about romance? What about food even? People will say, what about beauty? But there's no what about it. It's, it's, it's a chemical process in the brain. There's, there's no exception. It's a physical and a mental experience. You, you experience pleasure. So the question is whether that should be um, considered, considered as happiness. Because it actually is momentary, momentary. It's something that arises in a moment, ceases. And it's something that creates this dependency, creates desire, which creates addiction, which creates this striving and this need for things. Um, 
that of course, as I said, puts us in a dependency, um, takes us out of our out of our state of contentment. It's discontent. You know, it creates need. It creates addiction. It creates trouble for us when we can't get what we want. When someone interferes with our ability to enjoy things, or even suggests, as I'm suggesting, that we give it up. Of course, this makes many people un unhappy, displeased. This is what is meant by the disadvantages. So the Buddha said there are three things. There's the gratification, then there's the disadvantage, but most important, there's the escape. The escape from these things. I mean, you, you don't need uh, to depend upon uh, sensual pleasures, even beauty, you know, even nature, even you know, flowers. You, know. you don't need to depend on these things for happiness. You can be far happier when you let them go. Your mind is far more free and independent, not tied down to this or that, uh, not subject to the whims of, of reality. You find your mind is unshaken when things change. So this is the importance of seeing these illusions, seeing, seeing the, truth of, the truth of these illusions, the truth of the body as being an illusion and, and all of the things like flowers and beauty as being just a sequence of events and seeing them for what they are because that's where true happiness and peace lies, from being free from our need, free from our partiality. So this is what is um, what is meant by the practice. The final part of the verse is where you go beyond the king of death, and, and this is a little bit of exp explanation needs to be made here. Um, because Mara is the king of death means he, he's this, you know, whether you believe he's real or not, it's, it's a, a sim it could be just a simile, or you could think of it as just a simile, a uh, metaphor, right? For um, all, of, all of our existence, uh, you know, our attachment our sensual craving is what leads us to death. And then, well, you say, but everyone dies. But you see that one death is is one thing. But the fact that we die again and again and again, the fact that death is uh, something that we have to um, we have to deal with ad infinitum is uh, is what is meant here. You know, our craving is what keeps us coming back for more again and again and again. And so to go beyond this, we have to give up becoming. We have to give up our attachment to uh, experience. Um, this is what is meant by Nibbāna. So it's, it's not, this is something that is probably the most difficult. I mean, it, 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 you know, reaching all the way to the end of the Buddha's teaching gets quite difficult because it's the most frightening. It's, well, we can understand giving up our attachments, that's okay, but the idea that when you give up all your attachments, you, you don't come back and get the things that you're attached to, very hard to understand because we're so attached to them. But this is what it means. It means that in the end when a person gives up, they really give up and they're free. They don't have any reason to come back. So we don't have to... I think this is not something that's easy, and easy to teach or something that really should be contemplated by people. You don't have to accept this. All you have to accept is that you'd be better off not clinging to certain things. And that can be very coarse things that you see are harming you. Because once you give those up, then you'll see you know, clearer those subtle things that are, that are harming you, that are causing you suffering, and, and so on and so on. And it'll be more and more subtle until you are convinced that you're better off without clinging. It doesn't have to be 
an all or nothing, and you don't have to subscribe to the teaching. Buddhism isn't about faith. The more you practice, the more you, the deeper you, you see, and the more you want to practice. The more, the deeper you want to go, because you see the next thing you see, more subtly, those things that are causing you harm on a more subtle level. So that's the, uh, the correct way of, of approaching this. But what it ultim ultimately leads to is being free from death not having to come back again and again and again, which some people seem to think would be a nice thing. And well, yeah, maybe I can understand how that would be. You could think that you know, a few times, but you know, for, I think for most people, if we're honest with ourselves, we wouldn't really be happy having to come back. Well, well there's nothing you can say, because infinity or eternity is not just a long time, it's eternity. It never ends. So there's no choice, really. Eventually, you, I mean, you either keep doing this, keep doing what, what, what doesn't, you know, isn't all that meaningful in the end, and in the end is completely meaningless. You know, and you have goals and you say, I'm going here, I'm going there, and you get them and then that's it, and you do it again, or you don't do it again, or you go the other way and you try everything. Once you've tried everything, you know, that's still, eternity still hasn't come yet, it never will come. So the only option is uh, not to stay or to go. And eventually a person who, who cultivates understanding will, will eventually give up and let go and be free. So that is the meaning here. That's the teaching in this verse. This is verse number 46. So continuing on. Thank you all for tuning in and I hope that this has been instructive and is useful in your meditation practice. Look forward to uh, our next uh, talk. Okay.